2: Hello, and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Columnist, a role that often takes me abroad for conversations with some of the people, diplomats, policymakers, writers, who are shaping the global debate. As a columnist, most of my discussions are off the record and then used as background for my articles. But with this show, I'll be getting more of my contacts to go on the record so that listeners and subscribers can join the conversation. Today's edition comes from Taiwan, where earlier this month, President Tsai Ing-wen won a crushing re-election victory. I was there the night before the vote to watch her final election rally in
0: Taipei.
2: President Tsai's victory represented a considerable blow to the People's Republic of China and its leader, Xi Jinping, who's made it clear that he wants to end Taiwan's de facto independence. For China, President Tsai, with her insistence on maintaining Taiwanese sovereignty, is a huge obstacle. To understand why the Taiwanese people rallied so decisively behind President Tsai and her DPP party, I turned to Shelley Rigger, a professor at Davidson College in the US and Taiwan expert who's currently working in Taipei. She explained how President Tsai had chosen to take on China in a landmark speech.
0: In January Last year, Xi Jinping made a speech in which he basically reiterated long-standing PRC policy toward Taiwan. But the very same day that he made the speech, the Taiwanese president responded with a speech of her own in which she kind of said, you know, we're not interested in agreeing to the kinds of things that the PRC is proposing here, we're resolved to hold out for our own democracy and that the PRC government needs to just get used to the fact that this is who we are. And that was very, very powerful in Taiwan. A lot of Taiwanese citizens were really glad to hear their president sort of standing up for them in that way. And I think a lot of international observers were kind of surprised at the strong reaction to what was a relatively muted speech from Xi Jinping. But I think it would have developed in a more sort of normal direction with cross-strait relations being one issue had the protests and police violence and conflict in Hong Kong not broken out a few months later and really electrified Taiwanese people's attention and activated their concern that engagement with China or getting closer to China or becoming more vulnerable to China's pressure would put them in a position more similar to Hong Kong.
2: It was interesting at Tsai Ing-wen's last rally that she talked about Hong Kong quite a lot. I mean, how does she use that in her rhetoric?
0: Yeah, so I think the message from the DPP is, look, if you accept China's formula for the future, their formula for unification, for how Taiwan and the PRC are supposed to interact, then you make yourself vulnerable to this kind of future, it's not guaranteed you know, that that would happen in Taiwan. But I think what the, uh, what the DPP is saying, what Tsai is saying, and what many Taiwanese believe is this is exposing the true nature of the PRC, and they have to protect themselves against that. And
2: do you think it turned the election for her? Because about a year ago, she was in some political trouble, wasn't she?
0: I think many factors turned the election. I mean, I think it really turned around when she made that strong speech and people said, wow, oh, look at that. And it certainly has helped her message for people to be watching Hong Kong disintegrate on television. But other things also happened. The DPP, after its big defeat in local elections in November 2018, really sat down and thought, oh, what what happened to us? What do we do wrong? And they replaced a lot of personnel. She brought in a new premier who is sort of the uh, person in charge of domestic political management who has been kind of a miracle worker. And they also implemented a bunch of new policy initiatives. Meanwhile, the international environment has also really improved for Taiwan. The growing Realization that the PRC may be headed in a uh, negative direction for many countries, particularly the US, but also European, Southeast Asian, other Northeast Asian countries. Everybody's becoming a little bit more reticent about the PRC. So that helps her. And then the other thing that helps her is the Taiwanese economy has actually improved a lot in the last year. and some of that improvement is beginning to trickle down is that, it's not
2: related to the us china trade absolutely
0: related to the us china trade war like there was already a trend for taiwanese companies to begin to return to taiwan or to diversify their investment out of the prc because of the cost structure in the mainland you know it's just getting more expensive in the mainland to do business and it's getting more difficult in previous decades they got a lot of preferential treatment in the PRC and now that's diminished a lot although they still get some in certain places from certain local governments so they were already sort of thinking you know this is our long-term future is not just to keep pumping more and more money into here Um, but then the trade war really turbocharged that because suddenly they realized if our exports if the stuff we're making says made in China on it It has a very different uh, future on the sales side than if it says made in Taiwan or made in Indonesia or made in Sri Lanka, Madagascar, you know, all the places where they can continue this kind of offshoring trend.
2: So how do you think Tsai will, in a second term, how is she going to handle these big issues? Is it essentially just try and maintain the status quo? Or is she going to have to take some new initiatives to try to stabilize things in the light of this changing international environment you
0: described? I don't think anything will get easier for her. It's possible that the PRC may decide to take a breather. You know, they have a lot on their plate. Xi Jinping faces many serious challenges domestically and internationally, but I don't think he will reduce the pressure on Taiwan. But I think from Tsai's point of view, as long as she can keep the economy chugging away, and as long as she can continue to diversify the economic relationships that Taiwan has, and that is a trend that feels more feasible, not only because of the political environment, but also because of the economic changes, you know, changes in the global economy, I think that she is very likely to hold steady with the policy that she's been pursuing. In the past three and a half years.
2: And and last question, I mean, obviously a lot of the drive of, of the PRC at the moment is to try to increase the international isolation of Taiwan, pick off the few uh, countries that recognize them, put pressure on hotels, etc., not to refer to Taiwan. Um, do you, looking at the overall picture, though, do you think that they are becoming more isolated or is there counterbalancing? that some sort of growing awareness in the rest of the world of how important Taiwan is.
0: Most countries in the world would rather someone else solve this problem or took care of this issue, right? Um, And historically it's always been the US that has carried the water for everybody on Taiwan. And I don't think that's going to change a lot. I don't know what other governments are willing to sacrifice their own relationships with the PRC. On the other hand, the desire, the willingness to make Things more difficult for Taiwan in order to curry favour with Beijing may be diminishing because currying favour with Beijing seems to get you very little nowadays. And uh, I think there are governments around the world that are starting to say, you know, what is the long-term value?
2: That was Shelley Rigger. For a sense of how Taiwanese people feel about the potential threat of an invasion from China, I turn to President Tsai's former aide, Ketty Chen, who's now head of the Taiwan Foundation for Democracy.
1: I think the existential threat to Taiwan from China is very real for the Taiwanese and in the back of their mind. But at the same time, they have to carry on with their daily lives. So you really don't see Taiwanese on the streets acting scared or freaking out, but at the same time, they notice that the threats from China has increasing through the blocking of Taiwan from participating in international organizations, intimidating foreign companies to change the name of Taiwan to China-Taiwan, or poaching Taiwan's democratic allies to trying to influence Taiwanese people's confidence from China.
2: Plus, there is this big military buildup, because, you know, if you think back, say, to the last Taiwan Straits crisis, the military balance is very different. It was an American aircraft carrier which showed up, and just recently you've had a Chinese aircraft carrier going through the Taiwan Straits.
1: People took notice of what was happening across the Taiwan Strait. But at the same time, I think the Taiwanese people are under such intimidation very consistently for the past few years. It's not that they are complacent, but um, people are paying attention.
2: Mm. I suppose a counter argument is that it's just not credible that China could mount an invasion. Okay, they're a very powerful military, but do you think it would be, I mean, obviously Taiwan has to think about this very hard. Is it a, a genuine threat?
1: Um, I think the Taiwanese people think that it is a threat, but they also understand And I also think that the Chinese government understand that utilizing military attack on Taiwan is not going to be very practical for their part. So they are at the moment trying to utilize other strategies and tactics to trying to dismantle Taiwan's democracy. Such as? Such as influence Operation, information warfare, creating disinformation, distributing disinformation through Taiwanese social media to influence Taiwanese people's feeling and trust on democracy, their democratic elected officials. So in turn, offering another alternative for the Taiwanese people.
2: And yet, you know, it doesn't seem to be very effective. Although these influence operations are ramping up, they don't appear to be working for the moment.
1: I think the influence operation or the strategy to distribute disinformation works well within echo chambers, for example, within the closed line chat groups. Um, However, if you look at the survey conducted by the Taiwan Foundation for Democracy, in the high 70s percentage of people that we polled agree with the statement that although they think that democracy is not perfect, they would not choose to live under any other Type of government than democracy, and also when we ask them about how they feel or how positive do they feel about the future of Taiwan's democracy, and the numbers actually increase by ten points. So it's in the in the fifties mm. that Taiwanese people are feeling relatively positive about Taiwan.
2: One of the things that strikes me in the, when I come here is there's this odd paradox that you have this very heated political standoff with China. On the other hand, you have Lots and lots of flights going backwards and forwards between the mainland and Taiwan. Mm -hmm. You know, very intense economic cooperation. How do you explain that, that those two things happen side by side? And is there a risk that those ties could actually be broken if the politics gets too heated?
1: Because there's two million Taiwanese business people working in China and also Taiwanese individuals visiting China for touristic purposes. There's a lot of uh, back and forth and um, exchanges between Taiwan and China on the people front, on the culture front, on the economic front. I wouldn't say that I would predict that the economic relations will be broken because I think it's really important for the Taiwanese and especially for the Chinese to maintain such economic collaboration. So I think the situation in Taiwan is that even though the Taiwanese are very determined to keep its democracies, and the freedom that they enjoy under the current democratic system. They are also choosing to collaborate or work with China in the economic front. I just see that it's the Taiwanese people's identity because democracy is very much becoming an identity for Taiwanese. I really don't think that the two things are mutually exclusive.
2: Mm. You said democracy is becoming an identity for Taiwanese. I mean, obviously, the thing that China's always said would trigger invasion is if Taiwan ever formally declared independence. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that Taiwan just wants to maintain the status quo. Mm-hmm. But is President Tsai under pressure from within her own party to be a bit more radical?
1: Um, there are more marginalized forces within her own camp or the Green Camp that is really encouraging her or Is critical of her of not moving towards the Declaration of Independence. However, she has always articulated that she's a president elected by the people. And most people, or the majority of the Taiwanese, really are their desires is the maintenance of status quo. And to a lot of Taiwanese, the maintenance of status quo is enjoying Taiwan's democratic system and Taiwan's democratic way of life. And in many public occasions, President Tsai had already said that one of the most important tasks for her is to maintain Taiwan's democratic way of life and not have any other entity tarnish Taiwan's sovereignty or Taiwanese people's right to determine their future.
2: Some people have said to me that the young in particular are shifting and that they are becoming more willing to talk about independence.
1: Mm. There's a term that categorizes the young Taiwanese as naturally born independent. That means that the nation of Taiwan is all they know and they've not lived under any authoritarian regime. So they do have a distaste for authoritarianism. But at the same time, the young Taiwanese are not necessarily pushing towards, let's say, changing the name of the country to the Republic of Taiwan. But what the Taiwanese youth or even the entire population do not want is to be unified with the People's Republic.
2: The international context will be critical in determining how the situation evolves. And here Taiwan is relatively helpless as my final interviewee, Professor Alexander Huang, an advisor to the opposition KMT party, explains.
3: We have
4: been caught between Beijing and Washington for 70 years, but uh, two things are different. The first one is that after so many years, Washington seemingly had concluded that the relationship with China is not partner, but that of competitor. The other issue is Donald Trump and Xi Jinping. The top decision makers, their unique style is sometimes hard to predict. Or Taiwan find, you know, less room to manoeuvre
2: between these two. So if you have to try and look 20 years ahead, how confident are you about the future of Taiwan as a de facto independent democracy? Do you think this situation is sustainable? The short answer is yes, but there are
4: scenarios behind the yes. Uh, it could be more and more hardship. Because China puts the economic squeeze on you, essentially. Right, uh, n- not only a successful Chinese, but Taiwan also needs to engage Uh, or mitigate the threat of a more chaotic China 20 years from now. Because China's economy, China's domestic social conditions, and China's leadership succession institution all pose possible difficulties for themselves. And uh, whether that will lead to a less centralized control by Beijing, within China, or it will tend to become a relatively weaker collective leadership, or China's economy cannot sustain a stable society in the longer run. And uh, the fourth one probably is the evolving U.S.-China competition. Everything happening in China will have a direct impact on Taiwan. In the past four years, actually, our economic dependency on mainland have been increased. Right now, it's about 41.2 percent. In terms of trade? In terms of trade, yes. So uh, even though from the outside, a lot of people have seen uneasiness between the DPP government in Taipei and China, the trade volume increased in the past four years. So with an increasing economic dependency, and among those two, the United States continued to improve relationship with Taiwan as part of a wider, larger U.S-China competition, had put Taiwan in a pretty much uh, awkward position to find its own interests defined by itself.
2: That was Alexander Huang ending this edition. And that's it for this week. I hope you'll join me again next week. And remember, if you don't already subscribe to the show, you can do so in any podcast app. Just follow the link at ft.com slash Rachman Review. Until next week, goodbye.